Angelica Skyler! A toast to the groom. To the groom. To the groom. To the groom. To the bride. To the bride. To the bride. From your sister. And I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. This podcast is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We'll be sharing our experiences and all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. With that being said, let's get into today's topic. So for today's episode, it will be a combination of the two types of episodes that we do. It will be a movie review and it will also be a night at the theater because we are talking about Hamilton. So, uh, recently, Hamilton, the Broadway musical, came to Disney+, and audiences around the world got their chance to see this beautiful musical. Um, I want to go ahead and put that disclaimer in there now, is that I'm going to talk shit about this musical. But it is a very good musical, and I still, I still very much enjoy the musical. But, like with all successes, there's controversy that comes along with this. Um, and so I think to start, we kind of have to talk about what is Hamilton. Um, and I don't want to necessarily give a full summary because like, I'm sure everyone either knows it or, you know, still have plans to go watch Hamilton. So it would be pointless for us to just spoil everything. There will be some spoilers, but. Right. I think we can basically just kind of say like how it started, where it stemmed from and how we kind of got to the Disney plus quote-unquote movie version we have today yes uh so it is the hamilton is the brainchild of lynn manuel miranda who at this point has written i think i as far as publicly professionally known i think this is his third musical um his first was in the heights um his second was bring it on and his third was, uh, which was Hamilton. He did work on not the current revival of West Side Story, but the one before this. Um, he was a part of that production by adding in the Spanish language. He worked alongside Sondheim. Sondheim? Sondheim. Is that right? Sondheim. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked along alongside Sondheim to add the Spanish into like the a Broadway revival of West Side Story. There have been so many at this point, I can't keep up. But I do know yeah, that that... This was, and this revival was post... Um, this revival was post In the Heights because Karen Olivia, who played the original Vanessa in In the Heights, ended up going into this production and playing um, Anita. And she even won a Tony um, So it was probably... Yes, and she was fabulous. And it, so that was probably around... Um, 2000 and I don't know 10 11 might have been West Side Story because I think it was like a significant time after in the heights yeah. like it had been maybe a year or two. Oh yeah. Uh, might so, be a, yeah. Little lo- a little longer than that. Um so this is his yeah. third musical. Um 
it's there's so the his original idea for this musical is based off of the book about Hamilton, which I can't I forget the title of it. Um, but there's an autobiographical book about Hamilton that Lynn Manuel read in college. Um, so while the musical premiered in 2006 on Broadway, it had a life before that at the public theater um, for yes. 2015. So the book. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. The book is called Alexander Hamilton. It's by Ron. I'm going to butcher this. I think it's Cherno. Chair now, um, and and the book is called Alexander Hamilton. And yes, so this this show premiered on Broadway in 2016, um, but it had been at the Public, which is an off Broadway house, for um, maybe the year or two years prior before the transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, I well, one we should, I feel like we should talk about the Public Theater because they're a very important off-Broadway theater. The public theater is really good about finding sleeper hits. And Mm -hmm. the public will let something be a sleeper hit and hold on to it before it lets it go to Broadway for a while. Um, The other big name musical that I think, there have been many, but the other big name musical that I can think of that did the same thing that the public has done before is A Chorus Line. A Chorus Line started at the public theater. And then, like, they held on to it until, like, literally their houses could not hold the amount of people. And then it moved uptown to Broadway. Um, Same thing with Hamilton. Yeah. Um, Hamilton, like, everyone was talking about it. Like, everyone was talking about it when it was at the public. The public's, like, a huge off-Broadway theater. The The public is also the theater that owns or does Shakespeare in the Park at Central Mm -hmm. Park every year, where last year they did the first musical adaptation of Hercules as well. So technically, yes, it's Disney, but it'll kind of live in the public if we are to revisit it once things start reopening in terms of live theater. Yeah, and even when it moves Uh, to Broadway, the public is still part of the producing team. Uh, Yeah. So it is, yeah, so it was kind of this sleeper hit that everyone heard about downtown, everyone was talking about, Lynn Miranda, you know, Moral Miranda has done this amazing thing. And then it made its move to Broadway. Um, and so kind of off the bat, the the brief summary of Hamilton, Hamilton is in fact about, you know, uh, Alexander Hamilton and several of the founding father, fathers of the United States of America. But the perspective is, is that these founding fathers are played by men of color. So even in, you know, speaking as far as the version that's on Disney Plus, that is the original cast, to my knowledge, with maybe one or two yes. changeouts in the ensemble. But generally speaking, you are, as far as principal. I think, I think it is straight up. I mean, yeah, unless someone basically, like, left their contract early. Well, I, I don't even think that. I think it was, like, some one, 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 somebody swung out that day or something like that. So I think, but your look, yeah, as far as principals like go, and featured ensemble members you're looking at the original cast um so that was kind of the selling yes. point about hamilton is that these you know these historical characters that are uh white or predominantly white i think there's some controversy about one or two of them but you know that are predominantly white are played by men of color the entire in particular the men all of them are hispanic or black and they're playing characters that are traditionally white. 
And so the big press release about the show is that like the the hungriness and angst of like being young and hopeful is kind of how they perceive this, how the founding fathers would have felt, you know? It's a brand new country without the king's rules, so everything is kind of new and open and anything's possible. Um, and that's more, I mean, that's more or less what Hamilton is. It's just, I mean, it's telling their story through the musical theater lens. Um, mm-hmm. And that brings us to and kind it's, of... it's very... No, sorry. No, um, I was going to... I was going to say, we'll, we'll dive into this in like a few, more in a few minutes, but it's also like for people who are not really sure of the storyline or those who are all up in arms after seeing the version on Disney plus, um, it's a very specific lens that is being, that it's being told through. It's a very specific storyline that's told through a specific lens. And while everything is factual it is still told from one person's perspective. And we all know there are three sides to every story. Person A, person B, and the truth, right? So like, as we continue on with this conversation, we'll deep dive into this, but I think it's very important to understand and recognize off the bat that like, this is one person's perspective of the truth. And we're also talking about like for a musical it's long Hamilton is two hours and 30 minutes that is a very like take it from me and Danielle who have choreographed and been in musicals that is a very long musical that is a very long musical to keep your energy up for so two and a half hours you're not going to tell every single story you know Um, and I'll get into a little more detail about that later you just but you just can't it's the same it's the it's the same thing that happens when you take a book and you then make the movie version of the book Usually the book's better. Why? Because in a book, you can write for a thousand pages and have more details. You don't have time to do that in a movie. Yeah, like literally Hunger Games comes to mind. And they literally cut out um, Katniss Everdeen's best friend. Like the best friend character is completely cut out of the movies. A lot of people like she doesn't have a best friend. I was like, no, her best friend literally gets combined. The dialogue from her best friend gets combined to her sister character. But like that, if you just go yeah, off the movies, and I remember that because I read the book. Yeah, same. If you, it's if the same. you just wouldn't know that character existed, and I think it's no different here. Right. Is that he had a two-hour musical? He had to make choices, um, and he even talked about that. Exactly. I'll get that in a little bit. But I wanted the first thing I kind of want to dive into is rap on Broadway, and this is yeah. so the first thing. I have no problem calling Hamilton rap music, however. It is the same way I have no problem calling Aida, you know, rock music. Some of the music from the musical Aida, rock music. It is still those genres, mm-hmm. but is through the music theater lens. So I hate yes. it, in particular when it's younger kids, when they're like, Hamilton is the best rap music ever. And it's like, well, that's not how that works, but thank you for trying understand it is through the music theater lens um and i will say i will i will give hamilton this credit it's probably one of the best rap music rap interpretations on broadway or in a musical period um because prior to this there was the short-lived and rightly so tupac shakura musical uh, holler if you hear me that like opens for during first of all it opened during the summer which is like you don't open a broadway show during the summer ever um, no. 
It opened during the summer, and then it, like, I don't, I don't think it ran six months. Like, three months would be pushing it. It was not very good. Um, but it was, it was, in fact, the music of Tupac Shakur, and it was a lot, rapping was done in that, but it was just not, that did not fit a Broadway stage. And then from there, there's the one rap song in Fame that I know of, and there's a few other Mm -hmm. rap songs, but mostly, they're mostly patter songs, um, which a patter song is just a, a, a song spoken quickly in a rhythmic pattern. That's literally all that a patter song is. Um, and I do think the intent behind Hamilton is for it to be rap. However, I will say that some of the, the version that you all saw that we all see on Disney plus there's rap happening, but I do know that some of the replacement casts have gotten reviews and critiques about being more patter song than rap. Um, that has been that. So that has been a kind of, I shouldn't say controversial, but it's kind of a question of, you know, like, is it rap because it's on Broadway? And I just say, I, I say it's no different than any other genre that gets interpreted on Broadway, but I think a Broadway stage can show you an interpretation, but I don't think it can hit, it can hit the heart of any musical genre other than music theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, um, I think that they, um, Sorry, I think that they, at least the original cast, like really took time to really understand like what are these rap specific songs or sections in the songs about because mm-hmm. the entire musical is not in rap, right? There's mm-hmm. many different music genres that are touched upon in the musical, but there are instances of rap being used. And um, but specifically, David Diggs has a wonderful way of being able to... Um, to express and like adequately use Mm -hmm. rap, right? And I understand that that's very hard. I would understand if replace some replacements have trouble with that, right? I mean, there's a reason he won the tone, you know? And like part of it is like his musicality, the musical ability to understand rap and understand how that works. And also to be fair to this, the, you know, replacements and, you know, subsequent cast and tours and stuff like, the original cast, like we said, they lived with this show for a very long time. Like, I don't know if we've talked about this on the yeah, show, actually. Yeah, it all started at the public. Yeah. It was years and years and years of, like, concept writing. Yeah. You know, Lin-Manuel, Man, Lin-Manuel Miranda working together, kind of already touching, touching out, reaching out to the people he knew he wanted and mm-hmm. practicing with them. So, like, yeah. And then in any, even regardless of the fact that they, like, came from the public, I mean, in any show circumstance, um, I will tell you that the original cast gets way more rehearsal time than any replacement. Oh, yeah. As, in know, particular, usually a, usually a replace. Yeah, and usually what happens is when replacements are hired, they don't get to work with the full cast. They're taken no. into a separate rehearsal space, you know, and they... Um, because the cast isn't rehearsing. They're taken into a separate space. They learn the parts. They rehearse with whoever is there, usually for about, like, three weeks. And then they basically have a couple of put-in rehearsals with the whole cast, and that's that. You know, it's like a very... Versus a new show or a revival, a show that has yet to open, you get six weeks of rehearsal time all yeah. together. And then, or even if you just take out rehearsal time, like... 
principal roles in particular will be with the show for years to where they've seen, I think of Amber Gray in Hadestown. She's been with Hadestown mm-hmm. since its inception. So she was like, she's like, I have performed like 16 different versions of Persephone. You know, she was like, I've been in several different costumes. I've, you know, I've, it was very soprano-y. It was very alto-y. She's like, I've done so many different versions of it. She's like, I've also done this where, you know, she was like, Hades was literally like a tenor in one version. Or, you know, like all, she, she's been with the show so long, she can tell you about the different versions. And she's like, I literally know multiple versions of my own songs. You know, so when that is the case, like, you have so much more time. So, like, it's so much easier to dig into a rap versus you know, someone that's getting replaced on the tour, it's literally like, oh, you have, like, two weeks to become a rapper. (laughs) You know, or two weeks to Mm -hmm. perfect this rap from a very well-known musical that your audience can quote it back to you, you know? So I I don't fault them for that at all. Because I think it's even taking rap out of the equation, it's no different where any other musical or show that I've been in. You don't start to really get into the groove of a show until two months in and not every show makes two months you know it takes time to kind of find your own groove when it comes to things like that um so i think we have to we have to address some more controversial issues before we start praising this musical just so we're not completely biased uh let's start with the one percent so this is not something that is exclusive to hamilton um however hamilton kind because of its success it kind of became the poster boy for a controversial issue that is, I mean, only more prevalent now that, you know, most of the Broadway community is still off of work. Um, when you create a, a new musical or you create a role, you typically do not always get royalties to that role. A lot of performers... You don't know what happens is, what usually, what usually happens is, so... Even if you create the role from inception, right? You are. We're, talk, we're not going to talk Lynn because, like, he also created the show. Yeah. You are David Diggs. I keep going back to him because I just love him. <laughs> you are David Diggs. You've been working with Lynn one on one. You're brought in for readings. You workshop the show. You go to the public. You go to Broadway. You win a Tony. It's your role, right? That is your role that you have worked on, conceived, worked with people to become a part of you. Okay, great. You get paid your salary. Mm-hmm. And then, depending on how successful the show is, once it breaks, after it breaks even, so once the show actually starts seeing profit, yep. a profit margin, right? Because first, the show has to has to make back all of the production costs that it that it is to set up and its show, original right? investments yeah so mm-hmm. right so once that show starts to make a profit which doesn't also always happen for a lot of shows um then usually depending on your contract you've worked out your agent has worked out for you your agent or manager and depending on kind of um the like who like who you are as a human what will happen is like if you are okay so if you were, sorry, let me start over. If you are a director or choreographer of the show, you get paid your salary. Mm-hmm. Once the, um, so the way that those contracts work for, for equity shows is like you, um, you get an advance, you create the show, 
and then you get you get half you get half of your advance, and then you get the other half of your basically salary that was um, contracted to you to create the show once the show goes up. Mm-hmm. From there, you get a salary per week. Yep. That's usually not a lot of money until the show breaks. You turn a profit, and then from there, it's even like. X amount of money per week, your salary goes up or like 1% or 1.5% of the profits every week goes into your paycheck. Mm-hmm. Actors usually don't even get that option or ability. With actors, unless it has been pre-negotiated in your contract and it's in writing from the beginning, they don't really care that you created this role. They don't really care that you want a Tony. You can maybe go back at the end of your six-month contract if you choose to stay on and renegotiate then, but that would usually be for a higher salary and would not include royalties. And so with all of that happening, essentially what was happening across Broadway, and I myself have been victim to this in a show that I performed in, you, like... When you're creating, let me talk about creating a role in itself. When you're creating a role, whether it be an ensemble track or whatever, like once the show is set, everyone is copying what you're doing. So if like in the musical that I worked on, the track that I did, I lifted the entire ensemble. Guy, girl did not matter. I The only person I did not lift was myself. Every other person in that ensemble, I lifted. So, like, that was an exceedingly tedious track. I love what I did. I have no, you know, I was, when the choreographer was working on that with me, I was very game to do so. It was great. I enjoyed all those things. However, when it came time to do another iteration of that musical, my track was still in existence. And so they didn't want to pay me or they, they didn't want to bring us back. So they started doing weird things to kind of loop us out. So that was very annoying to me. In the case of Hamilton... Three of the act, three actors won Tony Awards. You know, three of your leads won Tony Awards. And so they're like, we want to make more money off of this show. In particular, the kind of lead voice. I won't say he was the main one pushing, but publicly, as far as articles and research that I've done, Leslie Odom Jr., who mm-hmm. won the Tony for Best Lead Man that year, was the lead voice saying, hey, we want our 1%. And the 1% is literally after the show has recouped, the actors that help create it and get you to recoupment want 1%. It's the same thing that the director and the cre- and the, and the choreographer and the rest of the, the creative, creative team, team is yes. entitled to once we make the profit. Exactly. And so this became, Leslie became very vocal on behalf of a lot of the other cast members as well about just like how that 1% can be a large amount of money. You know, and in particular mm-hmm. on the musical Hamilton. So let's talk about it. Hamilton recouped really quickly, guys. Let's be very clear. Like, Hamilton recouped, I don't think, I think it took them maybe a year to recoup, which, again, some Broadway shows never recoup, guys. Probably less. I wouldn't, again, it wouldn't surprise me if it was less. I don't have exact recoup numbers. Like, they're being very tight-lipped about that. There may be an article, too, you could do and find. But um, the, the controversy with... Hamilton wanting their recoup sparked a theater community-wide conversation to where several other Broadway shows started offering 1% to their actors. Mean Girls offered 1% to their actors. Who ain't too proud to beg, I want to say? There was like two other musicals, um, in particular in Disney's canon, that was like, 
oh, once we recoup, we'll offer you your 1% or your 1% becomes active after we've recouped. Simply just, and when you put in that type of work and, you know, your name is known worldwide and you're no longer getting paid for it, it just, there's, I say this as a choreographer, you're not going to do my work and I not get paid for it. So I don't see why it's any differently for the actors and dancers that interpret my work, you know? It just doesn't make sense, especially when, uh, like, Hamilton, they're still building off of that original show. So, like, there aren't a lot of, there aren't different versions of Hamilton out there at this point. There are simply just the Broadway production and, you know, the subsequent tours that are aligned with it or subsequent, you know, house companies of the same production. So it simply just does not make sense to me to not to deny these actors the opportunity to receive their 1%. Um... So in the long run, they did receive their 1%. Um, They did, in fact, get their 1%, but not without a lot of controversy and going back and forth with the producers of the show. I will say, because as many of you know, this didn't apply to Lynn because Lynn is, in fact, the book writer. Um, He wrote the book book writer, the lyricist, and the composer. Uh, So he was already receiving 1%. And... I, there was the controversy of sorry, his father um, being a part of the creative team in some regards. So his father was also receiving a portion of that 1%. So that was more controversy created because I think his father was the dramaturge on the show. And so it just, it became very concerning that like we put in all this work and we can't get 1%. Um, Lynn never, to my knowledge, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, he never publicly was against them. He simply said, you have to work that out with the producers. So he was neutral. Now, yes. you can feel Wait, how you feel about honest, neutrality. Like, but Baird is true because even though he's the creator of the show, he doesn't control the money. No. He doesn't, he doesn't actually Very control true. the finances, even though he's the creator. He's already worked out as the creator of the show person you conceptualized it the book writer the lyricist the book writer the composer this these are the percentages i want this is what i negotiate for this is what i renegotiate for but at the end of the day he does not control the money so all he can say is i agree with you i can all he can basically do is tell the producers yes they deserve this but that's it the producer just could, could have gone well fuck you it doesn't matter you know, yeah. it's a, it, so, so he never, yeah. So he never, he never said he was for, he never said he was against. He, he was only, you know, with the quotes that they gave from him were him saying to the other cast members was like, you've got to work that out with the producers. Um, yeah. And so it all did get worked out. You know, they did receive their 1%, but just know that, there are, that that was some of the controversy that is, that was out there. And it kind of sparked a thing on Broadway where a lot of people don't, a lot of original casts now get 1% because of this. Um, and a lot of people don't. It's yeah. still very underhanded, you know? Like, I've seen it happen where uh, a well-known choreographer, I will not put him on blast because he's a butthole, um, he had this group of dancers go across the floor doing, like, improv across the floor, and then he took their improv across the floor and put it into the show. And it's like... That's like they should be. They should get a residual for Corey because like they shouldn't be. And the part, you know, and like the shitty thing about this is that like at the end of the day, it's a business, and yep. so a lot of it too depends on 
you as the actor or creator or creative can be vocal about it, but even from a creative standpoint, like it's gotta be your agent and even a potentially a, an entertainment lawyer who yes. have to negotiate for this because when, if you book a Broadway show, say that tomorrow I book a show as a choreographer, it's a brand new show, we work on it, it's getting a lot of buzz, a lot of hype, people are like super into it, I'm like, wow, this is going to be the next Hamilton. No one's going to say, here's your contract, Danielle, that says that when the show makes money, you get 1% of the profits exactly. every week. No, 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 no. Like in any business deal, the contract is going to give you the bare minimum until yep. your agent or lawyer or both go, that's not acceptable. Here's our counter offer. It's literally like buying a house. Like yes. You go in, here's the base number. You go in with your number. They come back with their counter. That's how people get what they want in a contract. And a lot of people, I think, um, either don't know that or don't realize like how serious it is and like why having a good agent can make the world of a difference. Oh, yeah. Because the big thing as far as like when you're negotiating and these things like that, like you're only asking for money after your show has made money. And like that's the big argument that the producers have is there like, oh, not every show makes money, you don't know. But it's like, we don't know it's going to be a sleeper hit. Because if you just say off the bat, a musical about the Founding Fathers is going to be a mega musical, everyone's going to look at you sideways and go, 1776 is not a mega musical. Even though there is a Broadway right, revival exactly. coming next year. And I just, or uh, what's the other? Wicked. Who t- like... Um, I think of Wicked and like remember the concert Wicked opened in the fall and everyone thought Wicked was not going to survive the winter because who wants to hear about a musical about side characters from the Wizard of Oz but yeah. mega musical and what is it I think 8th longest 10th longest running Broadway musical or something crazy yeah, like that I think it might be the 8th now yeah something like that so like but yeah I mean I just think that it's, you don't know it's a big yeah, a big takeaway from it really is like if if you and if you get a contract and your agent doesn't say anything about it, they just say here's the contract, sign it. Give then I would agent. if you don't agree with it, if you're like, mm, I really want this as a clause in the contract, you're also gonna have to ask for it and then see what your agent says. So it's like you have to negotiate with your agent or manager and then they have to have to negotiate with the producers. And in all honesty, when it comes to when it comes to big projects like Broadway, there are there are people who look off of open calls, right? Or people who just like get called in and don't have representation and that's amazing, but it's gonna be a lot, a lot harder for you to negotiate anything. Even if you book a role, they're going to go, uh-uh, you're still nobody, we're not giving you anything and you, unless you go out and hire an entertainment lawyer on your own, you have no one to back no one there in your corner and I think that is part of why Hamilton went through those struggles, is because like Jonathan Groff was a name before Hamilton started, Lynn of course was a name, but he wasn't really a part of this uh, and then Oh my God, I'm forgetting his name. He played George Washington. He worked with. Oh, the... um, um, um. See his face. So oh clearly. my God, I just forgot his his first name. But he was in In and the he Heights. Was, I'm gonna find it right now because he was in In 
Heights. He played Benny, the original he played, Benny. He was the original Benny in the Heights. Christopher Jackson. That's it, Christopher Jackson. Christopher Jackson. So you have Christopher Jackson, Jonathan, Jonathan Groff, and Renee Elise Goodsberry, who have, you know, and Renee, depending on who you know, in some Broadway circles you know her, but like outside of that you may not. So that's it. Those are the big draw names. Literally, out of, honestly, Jonathan Groff and Lynn were the big draw names out of the show. So it was a, it's a lot of yeah. it's a lot of people in that cast that were not known until Hamilton. So I totally get why yeah. they didn't have that one percent up front or no one negotiate because again, no one knew the show was gonna blow up. It was an off Broadway show. No one knew it was gonna blow up the and way that it did. Part of that too. Part of that. I mean, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole of like the representation versus not having representation argument, but part of also like getting that in your contract because you know it's going to be a super hit is your agent is them going i've done this for years i know when something's a hit and not a hit you know so like or just to protect yourself like it is and like it's very it's not easy to get representation but if you have the chance or you put in the effort i would say like there are people who are like you don't need representation don't worry about it you're going to lose 15 percent of your paycheck every week that 15% is going to be worth it when you have protection and someone to negotiate and back you. There right? is no, so like, there's just no way that I'm going to it. work for such a large, like, let's be clear. There are certain off-Broadway theaters, the public included, but there are certain off-Broadway theater and certain lower A and B theaters around the country yep. that are working on budgets similar to the smaller Broadway houses if not more yes. so in certain cases. Yep. The public theater has a massive budget. So there's no way I'm going to go to a place like the pub- the public without having someone that can negotiate with them on their terms. Yeah. It just, it, again, it puts me at a disadvantage if I don't have that person. So it just doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. Um, let's, let's, anyway, on to our... let's move on. I feel like yeah. maybe we can do an episode in the future about representation versus oh, yeah. not representation because I could talk for days about it to be honest. Oh, yeah. um, Same. But let's, let's move on to part two of like the Hamilton controversies. Yes. So one of the big controversies that was not that is not primarily addressed in Hamilton is the use of slaves. So it isn't common knowledge to everyone that the founding fathers owned slaves that well let me were but this all took place during time of slavery let's start there the breakdown is that several of the found the controversy is that technically speaking several of the founding fathers did not own slaves themselves however they did take part in slave labor for example hamilton yes. did not own slaves however his wife one of uh, the schuyler sisters well his wife was not the sisters his wife was one of the sisters their company, which was this huge, massive company, like I said, they were rich. He married rich. The Schuyler family used slave labor. Their companies, their business used slave yeah. labor. Same thing for uh, Thomas I mean, Jefferson. He himself did not always no, well, use slaves, but then it's like, it's like his Jefferson, family. The Jefferson thing is like, well, I mean, mm, you, I got my hand shaking right here. Nobody else can see me but Tony. Because Jefferson, obviously, like, especially since it came out on Disney+, Plus, like, plenty of his ancestors, great, 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 great grandchildren, not, it's not even that far back, but you know what I mean, have come, have, like, come forward to talk to stuff because he had many, many affairs. With, um, um, the current, with one of his, 
Descendants is a black man that looks very much like the paintings of Thomas, Jeff- Thomas Jefferson. Um, that yeah. and like, and they're like, as far as they can tell, he's a direct descendant of his. So and like, I will. If, I mean, he had, he had so many, so many illegitimate children, and I will yeah. say that there is at least one line that specifically talks about Jefferson having slaves and sleeping with them in Hamilton. Yes, it's during one of so uh, every uh, Congress. The and, con- they, and I will say that they kind of sorry. No, yeah. every time. So the um, we kind of should have talked about this before, but like every time there's a big rap scene, it's literally the founding fathers in Congress. Congress is always a rap battle. These kind of rap battle moments, and there is a moment that Daniel was talking about where uh, Hamilton says it to Thomas Jefferson, where they talk about it. Um, and then, uh, what's the other character? It's the one that dies. Spoiler. Um, he also talks about the freeing of slaves. Like it is, it's a, it is not ignored in the musical, but it's also not at the forefront or as prevalent as some would have liked. Um, and I want to talk about this. So a, um, she's a writer and an activist, Roxane Gay. She tweeted at Lynn Morel Miranda being like, um, I have some questions and concerns. I'm paraphrasing her, but you can find the tweets. They're out there. Um, She's like, I I have concerns about, you know, we just not going to talk about the racial issues and slavery that these people took a part of. And Lynn tweeted back. He was like, all criticism are totally fair. I had a, you know, a two and a half hour musical. I could only tell what story that I chose to tell. You know, I could only do but so much. Um, and what I'm, le- you know, and all the things that I left out are totally fair game. He was like, I will say, though, there was a third or a fourth, like, congressional rap battle where they broke down slavery. They were going back and forth about it, but the song had to be cut due to time. Yeah. Time and flow. They and had I to think, cut like, it. it's hard. We talked about this at the beginning of this episode you know. where remembering that, um, so a couple of things. A... This, this came out on Disney Plus, and there was a group of people who freaked out. How dare they not talk about slavery? Don't they know what's going on in the country right now? Yes. They're not talking about the current events. So pause, time out. Yes, this is airing on July 3rd, 2020. However, this was recorded over the period of three weeks in June of 2016. So this wasn't just recorded. No. Also, this is recorded based on a show that was written in, I don't know, 2011 was the beginning of the conceptualization. And third and foremost, let's remember that it is a musical told through a specific lens, through a one person, one person's point of view. We are not going to be able to talk about every little nuanced thing because we only have two and a half hours, which is pushing it in theater, yes. and because it is based off of one specific lens. And there's also, to be, uh, I read an article about this, and they made a great point of being like, it. this was musical was written during the Obama era, when yes. there were, I do, I do not say that to say that there were not racial issues at the time, of course there were collectively as an American society, we were not having these types of conversations. And I personally believe if 
if the topic of slavery was heavily was more prevalent in Hamilton during the time of its release, it would not have become the huge success that it is now. Because it would have felt out of place in the middle of the Obama administration to do this massive slave musical. I just, I don't think it it would have felt, again, I think it's one of those those comparisons of being like the Obama administration and the current administration. There's a different climate. And this happens between, you know, many of you are young, you haven't been through a lot of um, political climates as far as presidential elections go. But like, every president brings in a new political climate. Um, every global event brings in a new political climate. So this musical was, yeah, again, premiered in 2006, but that was, the world was so different in 2006. The world was very different 2019. So I think that has to be said. And I, I do appreciate Lynn being like, any criticism you give me, I have no choice but to take because I know I didn't tell everything. I didn't ignore it, but I also know right. that people are feeling very strongly about those topics are in a, or are in a position to speak about those topics now. He's been very vocal and um, receptive to the criticism that's come out. He hasn't shied away from it in the past week. He's been very open and vocal about, like, you're right. All of the points you are making are absolutely true. We would have loved to do that. But in the vein of the story, the the one specific story we were telling, this is the route we went. Now, I have no problem having these discussions with you. I agree mm-hmm. with you. I don't discredit anything. Like, he's been very honest. And he even said, he made a quote in an article where he was like, I love that people are are pushing me and are uh, are fighting back against choices. Because he, he said, like, that's what theater is supposed to be. It's supposed Absolutely. to make you think. And it's supposed to make you vocal. And it's supposed to make you change your ideas and he's like the fact that people are doing that i did my job then absolutely and i think that's a perfect segue into like now we can talk about the things that we love and the choreography and the staging just because it is at the end of the day all these controversies aside hamilton is a good musical i do not like that they hike the prices out of wazoo but hamilton is a great musical sorry that's the last rag i was gonna make on it um for me when i start watching Hamilton, the big selling point for me is that I love circular choreography. I love rounded circular choreography. I always have. I got that from learning, studying floor work in college. And like, I just love, I love circular choreography. Um, I love, or even just the staging and them using the rotating stage. It just keeps things from feeling very stagnant on stage. And I think that can happen when you have a very large musical. Um, and the use of, and again, uh, we should also mention that Hamilton won so many Tony Awards, but one of the Tony Awards that they won was for Best Choreography for Andy Blankenbuehler. Um, love his work. Always have loved his work. Um, his his work, he just, he's very careful about when to use a straight line and when not to use a straight line. And in particular for me is that like whenever we're dealing with war or the Brits, straight lines are seen everywhere even like king george's first song he barely moves it's so rigid and yes. held together and it's, it's so very stagnant yeah it's so counterpoint to all of this fluidity that we see like i said that like i think there's one moment at the top of the show where there's like a straight line where we get the details that like you know 
what we're about to see. And then we go into this loosey-goosey, fluid, you know, fluid motion. And then we get a stagnant moment when we're dealing with the king. You know, so, like, that's... It's just very well done. Very well done. You know? Um, what about you, overall choreography? Um, yeah, I really, really liked it. I will say I agree. Overall, I usually really love Andy Blinkenbuehler's work. Um, off the top of my head, there is one show that is an, an exception that I don't love, but that's not neither here nor there. Right. Um, <laughs> what I loved about his his choreography was, I agree with you, right? Like, I love the idea of, like, okay, but well, we're dealing with Britain or, or King George. Everything is very stagnant very um, straight line, rigid, and when we deal with America and the Founding Fathers, it's way more circular, and it's a way of talking about, like, the hope of a new life and something different Mm -hmm. and not under this, like, quote-unquote regime and all of these things, so I thought that that was, like, really beautifully done. Um, Something I loved that um, I kind of started to pick up on watching it, and then I read an article about it after. There's one ensemble member, and I don't know her name, even though she's been named in the articles, that whenever a gun is about to be shot in the show, she actually comes on stage, and she always usually has this movement where she goes up, and she'll either like hold her hand up to the gun, or put her hand around the gun, or stand in between the two people where the the duel or the shooting is about to happen. Um, and I just, like, thought that was such an interesting um, idea of, like... Her name is... It took me a while to find it. Ariana DeBose. She's listed in the, yes. ca- in the uh, cast as the bullet. Because um, she's the bullet that shot yeah. Hamilton. Um, it's funny enough, she was actually one yeah, of the Donnas I mean, on Broadway when in the musical Donna. Yep. Well, she was wonderful, and I mm-hmm. just really loved the way that Annie Bueller and even the director thought about, like, how do we use a person? How do we personalize mm-hmm. this moment? Um, so I thought that that was, like, really cool, and thinking about, like, lots of shows I see, and I feel like I don't see that a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, and then something Tony and I talked about before we started recording, which we can deep dive into now, is... The choreography overall was wonderful. Specifically, um, what is it? Uh, What are the words? Specifically, helpless, hopeless, helpless. I think it's helpless. Yeah, helpless. Yeah. Useless. Specifically, helpless. helpless. Why are we forgetting the words? And then into and then into satisfied. That whole segment alone is why Andy Blake and Bueller deserve the Tony. And okay, and let's. Yes, let's, because, okay, for those that are, like, new to choreography, retrograde is something that you are taught in co- in your classes, and it gets overdone all the time in, like, concert dance, especially, like, at lower levels. Mm-hmm. And if I'm being honest... Oh, yeah, especially in college. It is like, ooh, that's all retrograde. Yep. But it's, it's not done well. Like, I'm going to be real. Retrograde is typically yeah. not done very well because... To me, for a retrograde sequence to be... A retrograde is just doing it in reverse, guys. It's just the technical term of, like, doing a sequence in reverse um, and looking at it from different angles. Uh, to to do it well, it has to be complicated, honestly, or it has to appear complicated because a lot of the time the problem when it's done on the collegiate level is just it, there's not enough... It's not complicated enough that when I see it a second time, I'm seeing something different. I'm just seeing the same thing again the first time I see yes. it. Yes. Um, I don't see a different yes. angle. I don't see, you know, 
I don't see anything new. In particular, in Hamilton, in Helpless, we go into this whole sequence not knowing we're about to go into a, re a retrograde. And I think that's beautiful. We literally just see, you know, uh, Eliza just standing there. You know, we literally just see yeah. her standing there doing the song, doing, you know, going through the entire sequence. And then we get to the end of that song and we immediately go into the retrograde. And as things start to reverse, we kind of see the pieces reversing and then we see the pieces moving forward with a different storyline simply because she's singing and they lit her differently. We also should mention that Renee Elise Gooseberry won yes. her Tony. We also should mention that lighting design won their Tony. Um, but like that, again, my favorite part is that right before we get to the end of Satisfied, we're back at the toast at their wedding and you don't see it coming. Like there's one note where it's like, and go. And everyone kind of... Um, What's the other Skylar sister? Peggy. Peggy has her back to like the audience. And a lot of people are like facing upstage or facing away. And then the minute Peggy turns around, the entire cast all turn with her, of course. But I just noticed Peggy because she's close to center. But she literally all turns around and we're back at that same tableau that we've seen twice now. But we're seeing it from a completely different perspective. And I'm like, that sense of retrograde that we were not prepared for. It, again, I'm with Danielle. That's why he wants the Tony. Like... He took a simple dance trope and yes. made it something new to watch. The way, because the way he did it, again, the movement was just complicated enough that it wasn't just, oh, I'm watching these movements in reverse. It's, I'm under, because like, so helpless is, obviously, we're not going to get into, we're not going to like spoil anything for those of you who don't know, but helpless is sung and told um, in the point of, by the POV of um, Eliza. Mm -hmm. And then, directly after it is satisfied which is told in the pov of um angelica their two sisters and so what we what happens with the retrograde is not only are we seeing these movements in reverse because like oh okay angelica's gonna sing now it's seeing the scene play out from her point of view and even though the movement is literally the same just in reverse it creates an entirely different world and point of view and now you're like wow I understand exactly what's going on with Peggy and I, not Peggy, excuse me. I understand exactly what's going on with Eliza and I understand exactly what's going on with Angelica. And between the lighting and the direction and of course the actors in the scene, but the choreography, the way that they're able to use that choreography in reverse to create this new point of view and have you understand what's happening from each person's perspective is just like really incredible. Um, and when you think about it, I think what I what I love about it again is that like there's a again there's always a lift and retrograde, but the beauty of the lift it's not the priority in the scene, like it's kind of in the background, and you so I it's just like typically when it's in the front it's like oh I saw it coming or like yeah you know you're in something crazy, so like watching it in in a slow mo like we just know it's coming, but I think kind of pushing that off to the background really helped sell it like I, I don't know it's just very 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 well done you know or the yeah, or it's, it's just extreme no go ahead mm -hmm. no I was gonna say it's just like extremely well done and it is it is very clear that he um 
and by he, I mean Andy Blinkenbuehler, that he won, sat down and really, really thoughtfully worked on this choreography. There's oh, yes. a lot of clear thought and direction behind it. He also, it is also very clear that he worked with the actors, the, the entire cast, and it's also very clear in the choreography that him and the director, Thomas Khalil, Khalil, no. Cal? It's probably Cal. It's K-A-I-L. So I'm so sorry. I don't know how to say his last name. But Thomas, we'll say Cal for now. It's probably wrong. But it's very clear that the two of them worked very closely together because I have to say that specifically help us to satisfy Hopeless, hopeless, it might be hopeless. I'm so sorry, you guys. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not like a huge Hamilton fan. Um, but that seamless transition into the two and the way that you're able to just be in these two different worlds, mm-hmm. it's just very clear that the two of them also sat down and worked very closely together. Um, and so I think that you know, we talked about this before like how important it is for a director and choreographer to be on the same page, Absolutely. and it's just so clear in this final product. Uh, and I also have to give a mention to the costume team, which also won Best Tony, uh, Tony Award for Costume. Um, I love the new, the neutrality of when I need the ensemble to be uh, gender locked, like when I when I need the ensemble to be guys and girls running around the street, the tavern, or wherever, or when I don't necessarily need a gender, I just need a body. And that's typically when we have the all-white outfit versions. Um, I I just have to give that credit very well done that, of just keeping it, again, keeping it period, but having a slight modern feel to it as well. I think there was just a, a, a lot of care and thought went into that. Um, and I appreciate, yeah, I just like, I really do appreciate that because those subtle differences just matter even as a dancer like the girls are not in completely ridiculous heels everyone's corseted so it's not just you know the women dying in the ensemble you know the men are basically corseted as well too you know so there's just there's just a lot of care given to the choices made for those dancers and how things are done and again they just matter and they make for a much better overall production or even just the use of of steelness on stage when it comes to, you know, how they're getting, you know, the stage moving and them not, the actors not moving, you know, those little subtle details just make a world of difference when you, when you're doing something like Hamilton, you know, on such a, again, a a singular box set that's not moving, you know, all those type of things matter. Yeah. And so I greatly appreciate that from him. Um, and honestly, I would say for those that are, you know, young choreographers that want to get into the business, I definitely would use this as a chance of looking at, looking at this show anywhere. I'm sure there's a few other musicals, but in particular, this musical, the creative ways to implement, you know, the things that basic dance concepts into a big musical, you know, I think those are perfect ways of doing that. Um, yeah, I think it, yeah, I think, I just think that he really, did a lot of like focusing on what this show needs and what this story calls for. And I think that, yeah, it's a great for, I mean, not even new choreographers, just anyone think needing like some, some fresh like ideas and some, some fresh um, 
um, like, oh my God, what is the word I'm thinking of? Inspiration. <laughs> um, this is definitely a show to really Because look at. when you think, sorry, I kind of triggered my own stuff. It's a box set. Like, it is a squared box set that has a circle in the middle of it. I would have, I mean, kudos to set design and to the choreographer, you know, and director for making all of those pieces work together because innately they don't. You know, innately when there's a rotating stage or, you know, the whole set spins around, but that's not the case at all. You know, so I think there was just a lot of creative choices that went to it do It did, that. I will say that the, um, the set design with the turntable in the middle did remind me a lot of La Mis. Because um, La Mis yes. traditionally, the original set design is a box stage with a, with a center turntable. Um, and there was even a scene, I don't remember what it is now, in Hamilton where there's a frozen picture and then it goes into slow movement of people lifting up chairs and stuff and it's mm. very frozen and in slow motion and it reminded me a lot of um, some of the the staging or choreography that is um, in Le Mis during uh, Turning Turning in act two um and i I just i tried to during the revolution they probably wanted that comparison because again hamilton like right so that's what i did i tried to google like was it the same set designer did does he say that he got his influence from lamez at all and i couldn't find any concrete but i definitely i definitely agree i definitely think there's a little bit of like this is another show that's about a revolution it kind of has a lot of this it has similar um ideas behind it and people types of types of personalities and stuff oh yeah young um, rebellious so that people that was, like super interesting what i was like young rebellious people fighting against the system exactly when i started seeing the stage when i saw the turntable because i haven't seen hamilton live yet when i saw the turntable i was like oh my god the myth like yeah like yes young rebellious people and i just think though like that's one of those moments where like maybe they did consciously or subconsciously get the idea from lamiz the the uh, set designer but like that's inspiration right like that's something like mm-hmm. wow like yes like there's something about that that means so much to these types of movements or just, and also for a different generation, because I think, like, it's one of those things of, like, yeah. the reason why I think I'm happy that this opportunity came about where we could talk about Hamilton, and there are a couple other musicals that we've mentioned, too, because I think they're changing the music theater canon, like, you cannot call yourself an empty person without knowing about Les Mis. No. I think Hamilton has become that same thing. Grant, there are still a lot of people who are like, mm, I'm over Hamilton. I don't want to deal with Hamilton. But it's like 20, 30 years from now, I don't think you'll be able to discuss music theater without discussing Hamilton. You just won't be able to. It has such an impact on the music theater community as a whole. I mean, I just, I'll say it for a show that is not predominantly geared towards black and brown people or people of color, to have leads that are predominantly people of color. That in and of itself is a huge thing, in particular for a Broadway show, you know. Um, so I, I, and again, I think it's also bodes to Lynn being like him being like any critique you give, I'm gonna give it to you because I'm, I'm aware of the magic that we created, and I'm also aware of what we, you know, didn't address as well or didn't get to address fully, you know. So I think it's just one of those things that like, the the music theater can will forever be changed. By you know by Hamilton, yes. it's the same thing okay. with um, 
Uh, what's that show? Children are singing. Matilda. I think Matilda changed the music theater canon as far as children's musicals. What was, like, prior to, it was funny because they were basically in the same year or one season apart. Annie, there was an Annie revival at the same time as Matilda. I don't know if they were in this, competed against each other for revival and new musical in the same season. But... No, Annie was, Annie was a little bit, but Annie was like a little bit before because I had students in it. So did I, but, oh um, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, they were, Annie was before, but they were both running on Broadway at the same time, but they were not competing against each other at the Tonys. But, like, the standard, like, seeing Annie, you kind of saw, like, what is the standard of what we ask of children on Broadway? And then when you see uh, Matilda, in particular, revolting children, like, the requirement of what is asked of children on Broadway exponentially got upped by this musical, you know? Or, like, the lead girl that plays Matilda, she has, like, four songs, you know, like, the requirement of what's being asked has just been increased, so I think you cannot talk about the music theater canon and children without addressing Matilda because it changed things for it. And I think Hamilton is the exact same way. Uh, or, or a show that's sung through. Think of the last time we had a musical on Broadway that was basically all sung through that Lemiz. had such an impact. Right, Lemiz, right. That had such a major impact. So I think you just can't ignore Hamilton. I, I mean, win, lose, or draw. You hate it, yeah. you get, love it. Rap music or no yeah, rap music. Yeah, I agree. Music, Whether you, you love it or you hate it, I think that it's it's definitely you know it's up there. It's with Lamiz and Rent and Matilda and all those musicals that made an impact for a reason. Absolutely. Well, that brings us along into our tip of the week. So, um, I will give my tip of the week, and it's I mean, hate to be that person, wear a mask, be safe. We are not completely done with this thing. I am, um, you can't tell, yeah. hopefully, from our podcast listening, but I am uh, not in New York City right now. I went home to visit family, and numbers are climbing, guys. And that we've always mentioned on our podcast, we want safe and healthy people, and we want the same for you. Like, it can be inconveniencing to have to wear a mask, and it can be cumbersome, but I'm used to dancing on stage in costumes, so cumbersome is kind of something you have to do for a few hours. But please, just be safe, guys. I really want just collectively yeah. everyone to be safe. That would be my tip of the week. Oh, absolutely. And I second that. Um, I am still in New York, but I am definitely going to go visit family um, as of now, unless things get worse, which knock on wood that they get better. Um, at the end of the month, but please, please, please wear a mask, socially distance when you can, stay in your small groups, give people space if you're shopping or even out at a park, just give each other space. Wash your hands um, because I would love to go back to school in September. I would love to be in the classroom, at least in some capacity, teaching because mm-hmm. the remote teaching sucks, you guys. And I want Broadway shows to come back and I want to choreograph again. And that can't happen. Until I have two shows on hold seats. right now. I want to get back in the rehearsal studio. Right. And so, like, um, props to all the New Yorkers. I'm super proud of New York. We went through mm-hmm. such a detriment in March and, and specifically April. And I'm super proud of New York for continuing to keep those numbers low. So everyone else, like, please, like, be safe. And then my other biggest thing is, like, um, not everything you read is true. It's been really bothering me lately, especially as a school teacher. I've been hearing a lot about, did you hear de Blasio said this? Did you hear so-and-so did this? And mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, guys, like, 
like I had a conversation with my boss yesterday and she was like, so these are our plans. They are X, Y, and Z. This is what it looks like it could be if things go X, Y, and Z way. But at the end of the day, it's not our decision. It's whatever the governor said. Mm-hmm. So I would say like, wear your mask, do your diligence, socially distance, and also like those state websites and your governors are going to be your greatest resource to know what's up. And please look at those because if you really want to stay informed with like what's happening in your state, those are going to be your greatest resources. Not, I mean, even unfortunately the New York Times right now is like posting articles where I'm like, so that's not true, but you know. Yeah. So just be smart, be careful, understand that we are not through with this. And in the process of things not being through, things could change minute to minute. You know, that's just where we are right now. And I get that it's a scary time. It's a very scary time for us artists. Trust us. Because, you know, Broadway's just kind of looming in the air. So we definitely get it. Well, that's it for us. The curtain yeah. has closed on this episode. Oh, wait. Maybe Sorry. it hasn't closed. Go for it. I also wanted to say in the vein of that, right? In the vein of like... Broadway, it's not going to reopen until until January 2021. Um, you know, a lot of people are like looking for where their next paycheck is going to come from and all of that. I just also want to add some stuff that I've been seeing going around social media of people being like, oh, yeah, there's no way that Broadway's going to resume until even maybe fall 2021. Like, I'm never going to have a job again. Like, I understand being super stressed. I understand not knowing where your paycheck will come from, especially if you're on unemployment right now and the, and the federal is running out or potentially running out if Congress doesn't do something. I understand all of that, but also please um, just be mindful of what you share on social media that like everyone is going through this right now and everyone has their own stuff. And so constantly being negative also isn't helpful. Um, Again, be super clear about where you're looking for news and resources and just also like let's help the community kind of build up again and not break each other down but this to me goes back to take care of your mental health these are exceedingly stressful times on multiple different levels and trust me i can definitely understand that but when you're dealing with such stressful times you've got to take care of yourself and others around you and the spreading of information is a good useful thing but it's also okay to walk away from some of it and the overwhelming nature of it too guys like Definitely be cautious about what you share because they again wildfires happen yeah. very easily in this day and age of social media. Um, so please take care of yeah. your mental health, take care of your physical health. Oh, I love our country, yeah. I just want us to be better. This time, that's it for us. Thank you, guys. <laughs> the curtain has closed in this episode, but we hope that you will join us next week and every week after that. Episodes come out every Thursday. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast apps. We are Point PYT. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. And I'm your co-host, Tony Waves II. See you next week on Point Your Toes, The Adventures of an NYC Dance Teacher. Mm-hmm.